Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 podcast. The podcast explores the origins and the development of the DC Comics multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters throughout the Silver and the Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. I'm Steve Higgins. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. We are still... In 1968, the comic we're doing today is issue 117 of Jimmy Olsen, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, published on the 26th of November 1968, four days after the release of the Beatles' White Album, and partway <laughs> through the Doctor Who story, The Invasion, if you want to give it some more cultural context. Listeners, we have a special guest this week. Mm-hmm. Say hello, Steve Higgins. Hello, Steve Higgins. Hey! Yes. <laughs> St- Steve is a good friend of the show, a good friend of mine for many years, and he's joining us because it's our, it's our 100th episode. Can you believe Yes. Thank you so much for letting me be here for this momentous occasion. (laughs) Thank you for joining us, matey. (laughs) Indeed, thank you. Is there anyone we should say hello to right at the start? Well, absolutely. We should say hello to my daughter, Caitlin, who is uh, a very, very avid fan of the Earth 2 podcast. And absolutely loved that you all sent her a birthday message last year on her birthday. She was thrilled. So... She's going to be thrilled right now to hear my voice coming out of the podcast. <laughs> Amazing. Yes, hello, Caitlin Higgins. This was my idea. I'm taking full credit. Have fun. We'll get you on, we'll get you on it as well at some point, Caitlin. Don't worry. Yes. <laughs> so, yes, Jimmy Olsen, 117. Pizzi, do you want to tell everyone about the cover? I'd be delighted. This is a great cover. We have a lovely scene. There is some kind of auctioneer chap wearing a big purple cape now. Capes are important here. And he has Jimmy Olsen, our Jimmy, chained up beside him, manacled and chained, my goodness. And he's holding him by the scruff of his collar, and he's saying to a crowd, Going, going, gone! Olsen the slave is sold to the gentleman wearing the Superman cape. And when we look at the crowd, we can see Clark Kent is wearing a Superman cape over his mm. normal civvies. We can see Perry White, who's wearing a yellow cape, almost like Robin, over his civvies. Mm. We can see an archaeologist-type figure, more on him later, and again he has a white cape coming off of him. And at the front, we have a white-bearded chap who is also wearing a Batman cape, but not just the cape, but the cowl as well. Yes. And there are a few other characters in the background all wearing capes. It's an interesting, overweight-looking fellow in, in denim and tucked into his brown boots with the long, straggly beard wearing the Batman cape. Yes. He's the sort of person you might perhaps see, I don't know, an, an ACDC tribute band concert, for example. <laughs> There's an interesting bit of sort of future landscape going on in the background as well, so it's it's very interesting. And there's a caption box at the bottom that says, Why does everyone in this world wear a hero's cape? Read the incredible Planet, Planet of, of the, the Capes. Apes. Worth pointing out, as I'm trying to keep count, this is the 11th Neil Adams cover that we've, that we've done. <laughs> These are the sort of things that keep me awake at night. So there we are. So Neil Adams has done 11% of the stories that we've covered. <laughs> the covers for 11% of the stories, I should yes. say. Yes, wow! That's incredible. My late lamented friend and mentor, Mr Peter Root, and we used to operate the, the City Centre Comics comic shop in Glasgow. City Centre Comics, obviously, is still, still active. Peter's no longer with us. He, we, he and I had a running joke, because I bought my copy of Planet the Capes from him years ago. Long, long, long time ago. And he always kept a copy on the wall if he had it in stock. And every time uh-huh. he sold... We'd be like, it's another planet of the capes. So we'd make jokes about phoning Norris McWherter at the, the Guinness Book of Records just to talk about another copy of Planet of the Capes. Wow. You know, we would just stand and look at it, Planet of the Capes. It's just because it's an obvious thing that it's referencing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's referencing the recent movie of Planet of the Apes, which came out in April of 68, I believe. So it's, it's, quite, mm-hmm. it's quite on the nose. It's quite funny. It always makes me laugh. Planet of the Capes. This is a cracking <laughs> story. I've really been yeah. looking forward to us doing this. And, and as we say, we have a special guest because Steve's going to be playing Jimmy Olsen for us. <laughs> Indeed, yes. <laughs> I think any story that is based on a pun is a winner for me. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. So shall we jump into it? Right, yes. So, as Pete says, we'll jump in. We have an opening splash panel, which is a big green box with another green box inside it. There's a caption at the top that says, Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen. Ranged along the top of the, the panel, we can see Superman's cape, Batman's cape, what looks like Robin's cape, and surprisingly, the cape of Starboy from the Legion of Superheroes. Underneath the, the smaller green box, we see the, the Clark Kent figure that we saw on the cover. We see the grizzly prospector, 
figure that we saw on the cover. We see Perry White smoking his trademark cigar and we see the pith-helmeted archaeologist type and they're wearing the capes that were all hanging above. And there's an inset drawing of a very bright-eyed and bow-tied Jimmy Olsen who's looking straight at us and he is saying, Who wears these capes? Superman? Batman? Robin and Starboy? Wrong! The Superman cape is worn by Clark Kent. The Batman cape was worn by a desert prospector. The Robin cape is worn by Perry White. And the Starboy cape by Professor Lang, who introduced me to the The planet Planet of of the capes. That was nice of Jimmy to reiterate what I was just describing. (laughs) God bless him. (laughs) So, jump straight into the story properly. We arrive at the top of page two, and the caption for the first panel says, Prologue. Ages ago, a mysterious spaceship arrived on Earth, towing a strange cargo. This is a great panel. This is definitely going on the socials. <laughs> it's a, a nice sort of shot of prehistoric Earth, because we can see a couple of dinosaurs roaming about. And there's a large aeroplane-type thing with a crane-type arm coming from it. A couple of little jets as it propels itself along. Hanging from this crane arm is a chain. And attached to the chain, it's what looks like either a giant pink honeycomb or a giant pink cheese grater. <laughs> it's a large sort of square structure with lots of little holes and stuff in it. And a voice is coming from this flying vessel. And this voice is saying, Ah, good. A primeval world without civilization. We will leave our dangerous load here, where it can do no harm. Panel two is a shot of the, the crane arm sort of lowering, starting to lower down the, the structure that was hanging from it. And the alien voice continues, Lower the dimension penetrator to the ground. Careful, don't smash it, or the universe will be wrecked. Blimey. Panel three, we can see that the dimension penetrator... So following on from the Doom Patrol, we have another DP. That's quite amusing. The dimension (laughs) penetrator is on the ground, and there's a caveman standing looking at it. He's awestruck. He doesn't have any lines, sadly, but we can hear the alien voice still coming out of the, the flying machine, and it's saying... Our inscription, written in the cosmic code, will warn any future intelligent beings if they ever evolve in this planet. Interesting. So, the next panel is a shot of lots of weather going on in this big pink alien honeycomb structure tilting in the sand. And a caption says, Time passed. Winds, rain and erosion did their work. The great edifice slowly sank into the earth. End of prologue. We arrive at the bottom then of page two. The final panel has a caption, and it says, Now let us switch to the 20th century as a small expedition arrives at this remote spot, now a barren desert of shifting sands. And yes, we see amidst the the sprawling desert, the large structure that is the pink and purple honeycombed dimension penetrator, and there's a jeep speeding across the desert towards it being driven by Professor Lang, and he's in the company of Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen. Jimmy points at the large honeycomb structure and says, Look, Professor Lang, what's that? Amazing, Jimmy. I've never seen anything like it before. We arrive at the top of page three. Little do Professor Lewis Lang, archaeologist, and Jimmy Olsen reporter know what they have stumbled upon. So Jimmy and the Professor have got out of the jeep, they walk across the sand, and they're pointing up at the structure. Jimmy says, If it's a honeycomb, I'd hate to see the bees that made it. No bees built this. It's something far more alien. Hmm. Professor's noticed the writing that's on the structure. He continues, That inscription seems to be based on mathematics, a universal language. Maybe I can decipher it. All night long, the pair labors at the task until... Yeah. It's now night time and we can see that the Jeep's headlights have been switched on to illuminate their work. Jimmy looks though he's making notes on a, on a pad. The professor still pointing away and he's saying, Now I'm getting somewhere, Jimmy. Take this down. Warning. The cells are doorways, each leading to a parallel universe. It was too dangerous for our world. Hmm. Another slow dissolve. Dawn arrives with a sudden wind. Yep, rather carelessly. Well, Jimmy tells us what's happened. Oops, my pith helmet blew off. I'll get a heat stroke without it. Got to get it back. Yeah, Jimmy's hat's fallen off and it's rolled into one of the openings in a honeycomb structure. But Professor waves after him saying, No, Jimmy, stop. The inscription says that if you enter one of the dimensional doorways, 
you'll never come back. And this final moody shot of page three shows that Jimmy Olsen is now inside the structure and he's casting a long shadow as he moves into the honeycomb and he thinks, Huh? What kind of weird tunnel is this? I, I don't know which way I'm going. We arrive then at the top of page four and the caption for the first panel says, Dazed, Jimmy gropes his way along until at last... And we see Jimmy emerging back out of the structure. He's thinking, Whew, looks like I made it back to my world, okay? Everything seems the same. And in front of Jimmy, attending to some cups and a flask, it's, it's Professor Lang. But we notice that Professor Lang is wearing a white cape. Hmm, interesting. The professor says to Jimmy, Come on, Jimmy. Time to get back to civilization now that lunch is over. The next panel, Jimmy whirls around and says, But, Professor, don't you want to study that alien structure? Yipes! It's gone! Yes, it's vanished. The professor doesn't look too impressed or otherwise, and he says, What are you talking about? You know we found nothing in this barren desert. We're going home empty-handed this trip. Professor Lang looks very much like Vincent Price in that panel, I think. He does, yes. (laughs) The next panel shows Jimmy and the professor in their jeep, speeding back through the desert. Jimmy looks very puzzled, and he's thinking, I must have dreamed the whole bit about the honeycomb, but it sure seemed real. The professor is saying, At the coastal airport, we can catch a jet for the US. So, a tiny arrow takes us to the next panel, which is captioned, After the flight at the US Customs. Yes, and we see Jimmy and the professor, Jimmy carrying a suitcase, the professor still this white cape, and there's an airport cop security type guy wearing a blue uniform, but he has a long yellow cape hanging down his back from his neck, etc. This chap is in the process of saying to Jimmy, Wait, lad, something is missing. Yes. Where is it, Jimmy? I didn't notice until now that you're not wearing your cape. What cape? They went out with powdered wigs and buckle shoes. The customs man doesn't look too happy, and his colleague reaches forward with some handcuffs, which he puts on at Jimmy. The customs man says, No cape? Then you're a slave. Clamp the manacles on him and guard. Yep, and as this happens, Jimmy exclaims, Slave? What kind of gag is this? I'll call Superman with my signal watch and settle this nonsense. Caption for the final panel of page four then says, For the first time, Jimmy has a glimmering of the shocking truth when... Yeah, Jimmy has activated his signal watch and we see the now familiar ZZZZZ sound effect happening, which I remember us talking about when we did our first... Jimmy Olsen episode, because I yeah. remembered that the first time I encountered Jimmy Olsen's signal watch was when Hank McCoy gave one to his girlfriend in issue of the Defenders. <laughs> Jimmy is activating the watch, and he says, No sign of Superman, and he's usually here in a flash when I'm in trouble. Could it be that my ultrasonic signal can't reach him across the dimensional barrier because I'm in a parallel world? Gosh. Top of page five. The customs man is reacting to what Jimmy's saying. Superman? Who's he? You're talking like a madman. But it's too bad you aren't wearing a cape of the ruling class. The capeless ones are our inferiors, mere slaves. Yes, and this panel sort of widens out and Jimmy looks around him and we can see in the background that there's a, a woman mopping the floor and another woman down on her hands and knees with a brush scrubbing the floor. There's a chap in a uniform with a yellow cape standing over her watching her. There's a very to-do looking woman with her prince nez in a cape and there's two guys on either side of her carrying her luggage for her and in the background there's a sort of type of sedan chair with a very well-to-do chap in a red cape being carried along by two sort of minions in pale purple uniforms. Very interesting. Jimmy looks around with his manacled hands, takes all this in and thinks, This is a parallel world, all right, and a crazy one. How do I get out of this jam? Well, panel two... You see that Jimmy's being put into the back of a police truck. Jimmy's saying, Professor Lang, I'm your friend Jimmy Olsen. You can vouch for me. And a very callous Professor Lang, who gets an extreme close-up on the right-hand side of this panel, he waves dismissively and says, Me? A friend of someone in a capeless class? Ridiculous. Take the slave away. The next shot, we're inside the truck. Jimmy's looking out at what's going on in this weird parallel world. Still manacled, and he thinks, my Earth was nothing like this. These parallel world people are either caped lords or uncaped slaves. But Metropolis looks the same. And that gives me an idea. Yeah, we move to panel four. We can see the Daily Planet building in the background as this police department truck speeds along. From inside the truck, Jimmy's voice says, Guard, stop and take me up there. 
I know people in the building who will identify me and prove I'm no slave. And then Jimmy thinks. Except the way I slaved for Perry White as a cub reporter. <laughs> Amazing. So the final caption of page five is a caption that says, On the rooftop, Jimmy gets another shock. Yes, we see that, well, it's not actually the Daily Planet building. Jimmy looks up at the sign that circles the familiar globe and says, The, the Daily Palette? You mean it's a restaurant, not a newspaper office? Then I won't find Perry White, Lois Lane, or Clark Kent here. The policeman is having none of it. Yellow-caped, blue-uniformed policeman, he grabs Jimmy's arm and says, Come on, slave, to the auction block. I have to say, I'm really traumatised at the way the professor just abandoned Jimmy like that. You know, <laughs> you'd think the professor would have thought, where is Jimmy's cape gone? There must be some mistake. I'm going to stand up from this. It's terrible. So, we arrive at the top of page six now, and the caption for the first panel says, And, shortly, in Metropolis Square... And we're kind of basically at the auction situation that we saw on the front cover. Jimmy, still in chains, chains wrapped around his chest now, is up on a raised platform. We can see a man in purple overalls, and a very unhappy-looking young blonde woman in a red dress. They've got chains wrapped around them. There's an auctioneer wearing a long purple cape. He's a yellow-checked waistcoat, white shirt sleeves. You can see the little bands on his arms to keep his sleeves up. Down below them are the people who are bidding on the auctions. We can see, I won't describe them all, we can see a man wearing a blue cape and a green suit and a brown hat who looks actually like Wesley Dodds without his gas mask. There's another man wearing a brown <laughs> suit and an orange cape and a couple of old chaps. The auctioneer fellow, who's bald and has a moustache, he's the guy with the, the yellow waistcoat, he's wielding his gavel and he cries, What am I bid for this young, strong slave? And the man in the brown suit, who I described a second ago, he cries, Turn! Behind him, there's a bald gentleman who actually is dressed a little bit more like the Sandman because he's wearing a green suit with a purple cape. He yells, 25! And next to him, there's a man wearing a blue suit with a yellow cape who looks kind of like Dr. Fate, actually. And I don't mean the MF Enterprise's Dr. Fate, I mean the actual no. Dr. Fate. This helmetless Dr. Fate figure, he yells, 50! And then the chap in green with the blue cape and the brown hat, he yells, 70! We get a little insight into Jimmy's thoughts as all this is going on. I feel like an actor in a movie about ancient Rome. Only this is real. I'm being sold like livestock. But surely I'm worth more than $70. And then in the next panel, we get an over-the-shoulder view of a figure who's looking up at Jimmy and the auctioneer on the stage. We can see the, the sleeve of a blue suit. We can see the neatly combed dark hair, the frame of his glasses. And we see a red cape over his shoulders with a hint of a familiar yellow symbol. And this figure cries... 95. Up on the stage, Jimmy thinks, Wait, that voice is familiar. It's Clark Kent who's bidding for me, and he's wearing a Superman cape. That's a laugh. The auctioneer says, Any more bids? Going, going, gone. Sold for 95 cents. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Jimmy looks appalled and says, 95 cents? Did I go that cheap? I thought it was 95 dollars. And we see that Clark Kent is holding up a handful of coins <laughs> to the auctioneer. And he says, Slaves always come cheap. Get into my car. What's your name? The next panel shows Jimmy and Clark speeding along in a nice fancy purple motor with Clark's Superman cape blowing in the wind behind him. Jimmy says, Don't you know me, Clark? I'm Jimmy Olsen, Superman's pal. And since you're wearing his cape, you must know Superman. Never heard of him. And call me Mr. Kent. Understand? And a caption at the bottom of this panel reminds us... Of course, Jimmy is unaware that in his world, Clark is secretly Superman. And a slow dissolve as the car pulls up outside a nice fancy-looking house. Jimmy looks very surprised and thinks... Holy cow! In this world, Clark must be a millionaire. That sure isn't an example of low-cost housing. And Clark, poking out from behind the windscreen, says... I'm throwing a big swim party this afternoon. You're to serve the refreshments, Jimmy. I'll get you a suitable valet's coat. And a tiny caption says... Continued in second page following. Pass an advertisement, full page advertisement for Skyport. A Skyport building set from Ideal. And that looks like great fun, actually. If any listeners <laughs> have one of these in their loft that they want to send me, email us and Pete will give you my address. We arrive at the top of page seven and Jimmy has got changed. He's looking very dapper, wearing a long tail coat, fancy waistcoat and a bow tie. And he's saying to Clark... Hey, this coat feels hard. Like metal. Well, why shouldn't it? 
You know that all our clothing is made of woven metallic threads. Except our capes, that is. They are made of rare cloth fabrics. It's a very strange parallel world, this, isn't it? <laughs> the caption name for panel two of page seven says... As Clark changes for the party... <laughs> this is great. Clark's in his swimming shorts now, and Jimmy's helping him put his cape back on. Clark is super buff, as you'd expect. Jimmy is saying... <laughs> Gosh! Even your bathing suits are metallic. But where do you get these cloth capes? Clark replies... From Dr. X, a mysterious scientist. Where he gets them or how he makes them, nobody knows. But he delivers enough to keep us supplied. Okay, a slow dissolve. After the swim guests arrive... Yes, there's a lot to unpack in this. Uh, Clark just <laughs> seems to have invited some ladies. <laughs> we can see someone waving from the pool behind them as a girl in a patterned crosshatched bikini with a yellow cape diving off the diving board into the pools. A few other ladies running about in the background, one reclining on a sun lounger, one with a big hat who's running about. Clark is in the foreground of this oddly shaped panel, being attended to by a blonde girl in a yellow bikini, which seems to have a sort of circular pattern on it. I'm not sure if it's smiley faces or something Looks else. Looks like smiley faces. Yeah. yeah. She has an orange cape. She's in the process of saying, Oh, Clark, you handsome brutes. <laughs> Gosh, there's also another girl who's wearing an outfit that looks very much like Princess Projector from the Legion of Superheroes. <laughs> yes. I was just thinking that. <laughs> wow. Except she's got black hair. It's like she's like a Princess Projector cosplayer. Clark is holding a drink in his hand and Jimmy is standing there with a tray of cool, refreshing drinks. And Jimmy's taking all of this in and he's thinking, Holy Hannah, this Clark is no meek, mild reporter. He's a real swinger. He must be making time with every gorgeous gal in town. So, we have a slow dissolve, and the caption says, After the party... Clark's got dressed now, thankfully. <laughs> He's wearing a very neat, dapper-looking purple dinner suit, and he gives Mr. Olsen an instruction, saying, Dust my hunting trophies, Jimmy. <laughs> well, dust my hunting trophies. And we can see, <laughs> mounted on the wall, it's the head of a unicorn. There's another weird, bizarre creature. What well, looks like a, it's probably some type of griffin, because we can see the, the lion head. There's a weird bird mm -hmm. shape with wide eyes and a huge gaping maw. Jimmy looks up at them and thinks, Wow, the big game in this world is different too. But where does Clark get enough cash to live it up like he does? The first panel of page eight gives us a bit of an answer to that. As Jimmy reaches up to dust the horn of the unicorn, and well, something happens, and he thinks, Yipes! This horn moved when I touched it, and opened a secret panel. <gasps> it's loaded with money and jewels. Yeah, we see piles of cash and bags of cash and glittering, shining, fancy jewels. Very interesting. A tiny, tiny arrow takes us to panel two, where we see Jimmy looking at the headline of a newspaper. The newspaper's called The Daily Asteroid. The headline says, Criminal Loot Still Missing. And as he looks at this, Jimmy thinks, And this paper that was with them. Now I see where Clark gets all his scratch. He's a crook. I'll call the law and turn him in. And then the next panel, one of the kids won't understand. We see Jimmy using an old dial telephone. No speed dial on his mobile or anything. And as he <laughs> dials a number, Jimmy's thinking. Huh? On this earth, the telephone dial goes backwards from right to left. But I can still dial the operator for an emergency. This is a fascinating parallel world. It really is. Mm -hmm. We haven't had a story like this for a long time. Yeah. You know, that's kind of given us a, an earth that is so weirdly different from, from what we're used to. This is this is cool. Mm -hmm. Panel four, then, is a caption that says, When the police arrive... Yep, a couple of blue uniformed and yellow cape-wearing police officers have arrived. We can see the, the open hole in the wall that the unicorn horn unveiled. A huge, glowing pile of money and cash. Clark, standing with his arms folded, looking not too fast, actually, as Jimmy points at him and says, There's the missing loot. Clark can't hit it here. One of the policemen says, Sure, lad. He was about to turn it over to us. You see, this playboy business is a front. Kent is the world's greatest detective. The final panel of this page might well end up on the socials because <laughs> it's so bizarre. I'm going, to find, I'm going to turn it over to everyone else to describe what happens in this panel. The policeman continues and says, By taking a chameleon serum, he can change his face at a moment's notice and do important undercover work for us. And you know that thing when you swipe your hand across your face and change your expression? Yes, I'm doing it now. <laughs> yes, that's very effective. <laughs> well, Clark is doing this, and as he does it, it's not just his expression that changes, his entire face, including hair colour and shape and everything, changes. 
on his first swipe, he basically becomes uh, the wizard, the Earth 2 villain, the wizard. <laughs> he looks just yes. like him. Yes. And then, and then when he swipes again, he kind of looks like a knockoff version of Alfred E. Newman from Mad Magazine. Mm-hmm. And when he swipes again, he looks like a goofy version of Quicksilver from the Marvel Universe. Yeah, it's almost <laughs> like, what if Tom Petty played Quicksilver? <laughs> it's a, it's a, we're kind of, we really are spoiled for choice so far with imagery from this, from this comic oh, yes. so far. It's tremendous. <laughs> yes, listeners, why not email us some photographs of yourself swiping your hand in front of your face and pulling some different expressions and we'll look at them and laugh. That'll be fun. So this page is rounded out with a tiny caption that says... Continued on second page following. So we pass an advertisement for issue two of DC Special, which I have somewhere, I'm sure. And as we arrive at the top of page nine, the policemen are going for Jimmy. They're putting the manacles back on him, as Jimmy thinks. Holy hat! This Clark is a superhero with a secret identity. Yep, Clark's not impressed at what Jimmy's up to, and he says, I don't want a snoop around. Have him sold. The cop gleefully says... Come on, slave. It's back to the auction block for you. Okay. Change scenery. Panel 2 of page 9 is captioned. Once again, at the slave market, Jimmy hears a familiar voice. Yep, we can see the auctioneer again, with his waistcoat and his cape and his gavel. Jimmy's back in chains, and as he looks down from the stage, he sees an older gentleman, slicked back, greying hair, wearing a yellow cape over his brown suit and smoking a cigar. And this gentleman cries, 85 cents. To which Jimmy exclaims, Perry White, my boss. You recognize me, don't you, Perry? No, even though you know my name. You may have seen my picture in the paper, but you look like an adventurous lad, so I'll buy you. There's awkward connotations there, listeners, if you want to draw them. Anyway, slow dissolve. Caption (laughs) for panel three says, At Perry's place. Perry's place. I saw menswear play there in 1995. (laughs) Perry is gesturing to Jimmy. Perry very helpfully remarks and says to Jimmy, As you see, I'm a collector of capes. And he's gesturing. And we see on on a rail, from left to right, there's a blue cape, an orange cape, a blue cape of a different slight shade. There's a white cape with a yellow star on it. There's a Superman cape. There's a cape that looks very much like Princess Projectra's. And there's a neat yellow cape, very similar to the sort of thing that Robin might have worn. Jimmy takes all this in and probably repeats exactly what I've just said when he says... Why, they're exact duplicates of the ones worn by Superman, Robin, Lightning Lad, Duo Damsel, Mon-El, Starboy, Princess Projectra, Phantom Girl, and Shadow Lass. Then those heroes must exist on this Earth, too. That's very interesting. Final panel is of Perry gesturing to an empty coat hanger on the rail, and he's saying, I don't know what you're babbling about, but one blue cape is missing from my collection. You're going to help me hunt it down in the Diamond Desert. Okay, a slow dissolve. The final panel of page nine has a caption that says, Later in Perry's private helicopter. <laughs> Perry's private helicopter is the adjoined lounge bar next to, to Perry's place. So <laughs> Perry's private helicopter is flying over. Yeah, indeed, it's a, it's a desert of diamonds. From inside, Jimmy is saying, Man, oh man! That diamond desert is really loaded with sparklers. We can drop down and scoop up a fortune. Don't be ridiculous. Diamonds are so plentiful they go for 50 cents a ton. If you want something valuable, try iron pyrites like the prospector who was lost here last year. And there's a tiny little asterisk at pyrite. And there's a tiny caption that says, Better known in our world as worthless fool's gold. Editor. Fool's gold, of course, was a, a massive hit single for the Stone Roses. So we arrive at the top of page 10. There's plenty still to happen in this story, listeners. Don't you fear. The helicopter has landed. Jimmy and Perry have disembarked. You can see the massive diamonds ranged around them. As he walks away, Perry is talking about the, the prospector that you mentioned on the previous page. He wore a blue cape. It's the one type I need. Help me search for it, Jimmy. Right. I'll go this way. And a slow dissolve. Caption says, Later... And Jimmy, well, Jimmy is whirling a very familiar outfit around as he cries, Perry, look! I found the blue cape! And he thinks, And it's an exact duplicate of Batman's, complete with cowl! And rather darkly, for a Jimmy Olsen story, on the ground behind him, amongst the diamonds, the giant massive diamonds, we see a very forlorn-looking human skeleton. Gosh. Gosh. 
possibly all that's left of the prospector. Isn't that dark and sad? Let's have a moment of silence for the prospector. That's enough. What's the name of the guy who's searching down One-Eyed Willie in, in Goonies? That, that's who I thought of when I saw this <laughs> this guy here. I forget his name. I can't remember, but yes. I've only seen Goonies once, and it was like 20 years ago. <laughs> I keep trying to get Caitlin to watch, but she always picks something else instead. I'm like, ah, come on. <laughs> you should say to her, it's, you have to watch this. It's homework for the next episode of the Earth 2 podcast. <laughs> so, panel three, though, is a complete change of, of mood. As Jimmy's basically attacked, Perry points and yells, Look out, Jimmy! When you wave anything blue, it angers that species of wild gazelle! And sure enough, a large gazelle is hurtling towards him. Now, there was a tiny asterisk at wild gazelle, and we have a caption here, and it says, Unlike bulls in our world, the parallel world's gazelles are not colourblind. Well, there you go. Yes. As the gazelle, with its horns, stampedes towards Jimmy, Jimmy cries, Yipes! It's charging at me like a mad bull! The next panel, Jimmy whirls the cape out of the road and the gazelle rushes past him. And as this happens, he says, Okay, I'll make like a matador. Hey, Toro! The side of the panel, Perry's voice can be heard saying, Stand back, Jimmy. That brute will charge again, unless... And we see that Perry has whipped out a rather odd-looking gun-type device, which he's pointed at the gazelle. The gazelle glows with yellow energy and becomes translucent as Perry says... I'll send him to the Dimension Zone, where he can't harm anyone. It's a good thing Dr. X invented this ray. Jimmy says, Dr. X, eh? He's the genius who turns out your capes, isn't he? And then Jimmy thinks to himself, That ray gun may be a clue to his identity. I wonder. We're now on page 11. The caption for the first panel says, Back at Perry's place. Perry, back in his full suit with his yellow cape and his cigar, is gesturing at the Batman cape, which is now part of his collection. Perry's saying, There! My collection of capes is complete! I won't need you anymore, so I'll put you up for sale! Jimmy, thinking for all of us here, puts his hand to his face and says, Again? This is getting monotonous! This next little section is where Steve Higgins earns his guest star money. (laughs) (laughs) The caption for the next panel says, But this time, Jimmy gets a real shock when... Yes, we see Manacle Jimmy, also see the auctioneer's hammer being stamped in the foreground. Jimmy's being purchased again, and we see the figure that's buying him is wearing a sort of very neat pale purple suit and a blue cape and a green bow tie. He has many freckles, and he has slicked back red hair. As he makes his purchase, he says... Why, he's my double. Just the slave I need. I'll bid a dollar fifty. And Jimmy cries... Jeepers! It's the Jimmy Olsen of this world! Two Jimmy Olsons! Fantastic! The caption for the next panel says... As they leave, our Jimmy tells his story. Yeah, presumably they're in some kind of vehicle. We can see windows to the right of the panel. Our Jimmy is saying... So that's how I got here. Obviously, you were in the desert with this world's Professor Lang, and he mistook me for you. Parallel Jimmy replies... Right. I had wandered away and got lost. I reached a city, though, and caught a plane home. The next panel, they have embarked from whatever vehicle they were in, and well, they appear to be on, well, they appear to be on a film set. We can see big lights and a chap wearing a berry sat in one of those fold-out chairs. There's a bungalow with the word "star" on the door and a big star sign. Our Jimmy remarks, "Holy smoke! Am I, er, I mean, are you a movie star here?" Parallel Jimmy replies, "Sure, and I need you as my stand-in for a circus scene." Okay. Slow dissolve. Caption for the final panel of page 11 says, Soon. And what we see here is our Jimmy. He's the daring man on the flying trapeze, caught in the spotlight. <laughs> parallel universe Jimmy standing next to the film cameraman and the camera. And as he points up at our Jimmy, Parallel Jimmy says, All you have to do is swing on that trapeze for me. And Jimmy's outfit, which is a, a yellow unitard and yellow boots and a blue cape. He looks very happy. As he replies, That's a cinch. Robin once taught me his tent-top routine. Awesome. So, we arrive at the top of page 12. Caption of the first panel says... But suddenly... And, perhaps inevitably, the rope of the trapeze snaps with a snap sound effect. Jimmy falls. Yipes! The, the rope's broke! Help! As he plummets on the second panel, his duplicate says... Great. The rope snapped, just as we planned. But show more fear. Put on a real act. Act? Who needs to Act? I'm falling without a net! But at the last moment... 
Yes, Jimmy manages not to go splat. He lands very nicely and carefully and delicately in his cape. Blowing up behind him, he says, Huh? What gives? Something bounced me gently to my feet. And his duplicate says, Don't you have anti-gravity cushions on your Earth? They're much safer than nets. All our circuses use them. That's very interesting how the parallel Jimmy has just accepted the whole other Earth thing and is selfishly not doing anything to help him get home. That's pretty horrible. (laughs) The next panel shows parallel universe Jimmy helping our Jimmy walk along because our Jimmy's obviously been a bit frightened by what's happened. Parallel Jimmy is saying, What's the matter, Jimmy? Something wrong? And our Jimmy replies, No, just trying to convince myself I'm still alive. But if you want to do me a return favor, get me a pair of scissors. I have a great idea. And a slow dissolve in the caption for the final panel of page 12 says, And soon? And we see our Jimmy hard at work on a green suit jacket with a pair of scissors. Parallel Jimmy is saying, Why are you cutting up that cloth suit from your earth? And our Jimmy replies, To make something special. I'll need a needle too. After I unravel some of this for thread. Okay. The caption then for the first panel of page 13. After Jimmy is finished. And we can see that Jimmy has been very busy indeed because he's made a cape out of his suit. He's trying it on, fitting it around his neck as parallel Jimmy says. Why, you made a cape. But I never saw one like that before. And our Jimmy replies. Natch, I designed it myself. If I can't go to the mysterious Dr. X, I'll bring him to me. And the next panel shows our Jimmy taking his leave from parallel Jimmy's cabin as he walks off. Jimmy says, You see, those capes look like the ones used by heroes of my Earth. Since Dr. X makes them, he must know about those superdoers. So he's my only hope of returning home. And parallel movie star Jimmy waves him off, saying, Good luck, buddy. Okay, another slow dissolve. The caption for panel 3 of page 13 says, Hours later, after Jimmy parades himself through the city... Yep, Jimmy is looking at a newspaper headline. Newspaper headline says, Mystery Man Wears New Cape Design. So it's obviously a slow news day <laughs> on this parallel off. Hours later. <laughs> it was a, yeah. a bulletin. Of- <laughs> Newspapers come out every hour in this world, definitely. Yeah. It's how you got the news then. That's it. It's the only way. It's a slow news day, but they obviously... They obviously work fast. It's, it's fascinating. Mm. As Jimmy beholds this, this headline, he's thinking, Just as I hoped. Some hotshot reporter figured I was headline news. Dr. X is sure to get wind of this and come looking for me. Blimey. Is that what, are they just cape-obsessed? <laughs> yes. You know, <laughs> obviously there are, there are no wars. Everything's fine with the economy, so they just worry about capes, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it were so simple? So, a tiny arrow takes us to panel four. A caption says... Before long. And we see a small flying saucer bearing down upon Jimmy. From within, a voice is saying, Attention, you with the odd cape. I, Dr. X, have sent my remote-controlled saucer to pick you up and bring you to my secret laboratory. Enter. Close up of Jimmy, and he thinks, My scheme paid off. And an arrow takes us to the final panel of page 13, which is captioned, With Jimmy aboard, the flying saucer spins away, and soon... Yeah, it's a very effective panel, this. We see a huge iron door opening in a cliff face, and Dr. X's voice can be heard saying, You are entering my secret mountain lab. You don't know who I am? Jimmy says, Oh, I have a pretty good idea. So the first panel, page 14, shows Jimmy emerging from the saucer, and as we said there, you know, he had an idea who Dr. X was, because we see a figure wearing a very familiar green, yellow and red uniform. He has a, a yellow headband. Significantly, he has white hair, which is very interesting. Jimmy beholds this chap as he steps out the saucer and he says, You're Jor-El from the planet Krypton. And Dr. X, a.k.a. Jor-El from Krypton, replies, Great stars, how could you possibly know that? Because of that dimension zone projector you invented. You see, I'm from a different universe in which Jor-El invented a similar Phantom Zone projector. And there's a tiny asterisk at Phantom Zone projector and a tiny caption underneath says, The Phantom Zone projector was used on the planet Krypton to exile criminals to a weird twilight dimension. Editor. Interesting. Jor-El then replies to Jimmy saying, You mean the Jor-El there is well known? Yes, even though he died when Krypton exploded. But he sent his son, Kal-El, to Earth 
where he gained superpowers and became famous as Superman. And my whole family came to this earth, yet we gained no powers. My wife is dead now, and my son lives elsewhere under an assumed name. Jor-El looks very like Lloyd Bridges in this panel. Yes, that's true. Very much so. <laughs> yes, and a caption reminds us here. Yes, here too, Jor-El is Clark Kent's father. And the next panel shows Jimmy and Jorel looking at an arrangement of capes, very similar to the ones that we saw in Perry's closet earlier. We can see the Batman one, the Superman one, the, the Jackie one, the Duo Damsel one. Jimmy's cape, which we haven't really described as an obvious sort of patchwork one with a little rope type collar. We should have probably emphasised that a little, but not to worry. So Jimmy and Jorel are beholding the capes, and Jimmy is saying, But tell me how you duplicated those capes from my world. Then I'll clue you in to where mine came from. Certainly. For years after I came to Earth, no one recognized my scientific genius. I lived in a hut. But one day, an amazing space vessel appeared out of thin air. And with this final panel of page 14, we've entered flashback territory. It's all rippled. We can see the, the wooden hut in the left of the panel. Jor-El, still in his full Kryptonian gear, stepping outside and seeing this very pointed, dagger-shaped flying vessel that seems to be materializing in front of him. Jor-El's got his hand on a rock as he watches this, and he's thinking... Is Earth being invaded? I'd better eavesdrop and see what's up. And a voice is coming from this strange craft, saying, We came through some dimensional warp by accident. What world is this? And top of page 15, Jor-El narrates and says, A band of costumed people emerged. Yes, now I want to see this story. Yeah. <laughs> Emerging indeed from the, the red flying machine, we see Robin, we see... Duo Damsel, maybe it's Triple Eight Girl at this point, we don't know, from the Legion. Batman, Superman, Supergirl, Monel, Princess Projectra, and the shadowed figures of some other people in the background. As they all stand there in a line, Superman is saying, What a mess. I gather a shipload of champions and crime fighters, even some members of the Legion of Superheroes from the future, to make a tour of the universe, and we wind up in a different universe. They all look quite happy, to be honest. Batman looks maybe a bit nervous. Supergirl looks a bit... Yeah, she's fine with it. Princess Projector looks astonished. Monel, he's pretty chill. We return to Jorel's narration. I figured what they were really up to. Yeah, and this continued rippling panel effect. We see Jorel making for his hut as he thinks. Fighters and champions, eh? Obviously, they're out to conquer the universe. I'll get my ray gun and stop them. So we have a shift in the POV in the next shot as we see Jorel behind his rocks, aiming his device at Superman and Starboy and Batman and everyone else. His narration says, But, in my excitement, I seized the wrong device from among my inventions. Yes, yeah, so he fires this device, and as he does so, he thinks, Great Krypton! This is my duplicator ray. It's only making copies of their capes. Yes, and what we see behind Batman and Superman and everyone else is copies of their capes appearing, surrounded by a pink glow. Superman and the others don't seem to notice, because Superman is saying, Come on, we'll try to find that dimension warp again, and return to our own universe. Jorel's narration continues. After they left, I discovered those capes were made of. And in the background, um, we see the strange red rocket ship aeroplane flying off and fading out. Jorel is picking up the Superman cape copy, and he's thinking, cloth fabrics, materials like these we use in Krypton for our clothing, but such fabrics are unknown on this world. Hmm. Here's my chance to get rich. <laughs> this is so like every Jorel I've ever encountered. <laughs> this is mental. <laughs> the final panel of page 15 shows Jorel firing his duplicator again so that the Jackie cape and the Batman cape and the Robin cape and the Starboy cape and presumably the Lightning Lad cape all duplicate once more. As he activates the machine, he's thinking, I'll make a limited number of duplicates and sell them to the people at sky-high prices. We arrive on page 16, and Jorel's narration for the first panel says, Due to their rarity, the capes became a symbol of wealth and power, and a new law was enacted. Yes, and we see in this panel three very severe suited figures. Guy in a purple suit with a red cape, guy in a blue suit with a white cape, guy in a brown suit with a blue cape. The chap in the middle in the blue suit and white cape, he's, he has a scroll, obviously some legislation, and he's reading out saying, We hereby declare that anyone not wearing a cape is a slave who may be bought and sold by the caped noblemen. Gosh. Caption then for the next panel says, As Jor-El's incredible story ends. <laughs> this panel's astonishing. Take everything you've ever thought about Jor-El, listeners, and throw it straight in the bin. <laughs> Jor-El's standing, showing Jimmy a 
flipping huge big pile of cash, tons of bags of money, bundles of notes, stashed in a room, Jorel saying, I'm still the sole maker and distributor of the prized capes. They've made me the wealthiest man on earth. I built this secret hideaway to be safe from thieves. And Jimmy thinks, Crazy. This Jorel sure isn't like the unselfish one who lived in my universe. Absolutely. Jimmy's taking his own cape off for the next panel, as Jorel says. Now, tell me the secret of your special cape, lad. On my earth, cloth is cheap. I made this cape out of the suit I wore here. I hoped you'd be able to get me home, but I guess you don't know how, after all. Jorel suddenly brings up another one of his devices, points it at Jimmy. A burst of golden energy comes from it as Jorel says, No, but I'll send you away to the Dimension Zone. I don't want you blabbing my secrets to anyone. Jimmy cries as he goes translucent. I, I'm fading away. And he thinks, Looks like I'm doomed to drift in a timeless, immaterial world like the Phantom Zone baddies. And then the caption for the next panel says, But to Jimmy's surprise... Yeah, with a burst of wet energy, Jimmy has reappeared somewhere else. A newspaper headline flies past, bearing the legend Daily Planet, and Jimmy cries, Holy Toledo! This is no Phantom Zone! And then he thinks, The name on that paper shows I'm on my Earth! Wahoo! That Jorel's weird dimension zone is actually my home sweet home! So does that mean the gazelle turned up on Jimmy's world? <laughs> oh, gosh, right. So, we've reached the final panel of this epic story. The caption says, Later, at the Daily Planet, after Jimmy tells his adventure to Clark Kent. Yep, Jimmy's perched on a desk as Clark reclines in a chair listening to him. Jimmy's saying, Yep, I was your slave for a while, Clark. And you wore a Superman cape. Isn't that a gasser? And Clark rubs his chin thoughtfully and thinks, Yes, and to think that my dad, or his double, is still living in that world and that he became rich because I accidentally landed there once, and he mistook me and my friends for invaders. And a tiny caption says, End. So, that's the end of Planet of the Capes. What are your thoughts, gentlemen? I loved it. It was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it had those, as Peter said, those kind of dr dramatic shifts in mood. Um, was it Peter or was it you, David, who was like, we're on a trapeze, and now let's hear about Jorel's dead wife. <laughs> um, no, that was me. Uh... <laughs> Do we know who wrote this one? Otto Binder. Ah, that explains everything. Yes, I think Pete Costanza did the artwork, I believe. Pete Costanza, okay. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. It was nice to have a, another weird parallel earth where weird stuff happens, because we've not had that, for, it feels like, for a very, very mm -hmm. long yeah. time. I was impressed at the random collection of capes as well. I really want to read that story <laughs> where Superman and Bat and the world, you know, for the world's finest team basically team up with some members of the Legion. Yeah. I think that'd be a great story. Maybe when we do our own DC comic, we can do that yeah, one. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I'm absolutely fascinated by whoever it was that built the big honeycomb structure and what they were up to and why they just decided to leave it carelessly yeah. behind on an undeveloped planet. It's just asking for trouble. <laughs> Especially when they said, don't smash it or the universe will be wrecked. Yeah. <laughs> and they're just abandoning it on this prehistoric planet. Yeah. Right beside a giant brontosaurus who could easily tread on it or pop his head through it. That'd be horrible. <laughs> this is throwing way far into the future. But do you, th do you remember those sort of big devices, the monitor builds in crisis to try and keep <gasps> everything sort of tuned? Yeah. Remember the, the, the opposite of that? Is this one of the monitor's early devices? Could be. I hope you remember that voice and do it again when, you, when we be. get to the monitor. Not a problem. <laughs> I, I can't help but wonder if any of the Neanderthals or dinosaurs that are there at the start wandered through and ended up in parallel worlds too. It must have happened, I think. Bearing in mind, Neanderthals and dinosaurs didn't exist at the same time. That's the first nitpick <laughs> with that one. Yes. <laughs> Unless it's the Flintstones world. <laughs> That's your Killjoy was here moment, isn't it? <laughs> Another shout out to the Weird Warriors there. Uh -huh. But yeah, it's fascinating that this thing's just abandoned. And also, it's just left there at the end of the story. As far as we're aware, it's still mm. there. It still exists. Yeah. I don't think it comes back. And obviously this thing is rife for storytelling. And, Absolutely. And it would have great potential just for setting up an ongoing series, pretty much, of, you know, multiversal explorers. Where is this? Yeah. Where, has Grant Morrison found out about this story? That would be fantastic. 
<laughs> did Jimmy go back to it? You know, did Jimmy go back and find another parallel world? Or I'm fascinated with the thought of anyone sort of wandering in and out of it and where they might end up. I mean, I'm also mm-hmm. fascinated that Jorel's device was. I mean, how many people did he transport using that thing, thinking he was sending them to some yeah. phantom zone? The fact that Perry White had one as well. I mean, we have to talk about the the different versions of the characters that we know well, like mm-hmm. Superman as the the shape changing playboy investigator, Perry not being a newspaper editor, etc. Yeah. Jimmy being a, a movie star. And then Jorel. <laughs> Jorel being a, a money-grabbing hermit. <laughs> Capitalist pig. That is stunning. <laughs> Discovers fabric, instantly thinks of getting rich. Yeah. That's the Jorel we know and love. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of lessons did the Kal-El of this universe learn from this Jorel? You know, did, did he reject him completely and run off to be a hippie or something? Well, he's, he's there. Yeah, if it is Clark Kent, you know, he yeah. he's living up like a playboy. Well, an, an undercover playboy is basically Austin Powers. <laughs> yeah, that's him, of course. You're right. Yeah, that's him. <laughs> it's 1968 and he's lounging by the pool with his glasses and his babes around him. He's Austin Powers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was interesting, actually, looking looking back at that one panel, when we speculated that that was a Princess Projectra cosplay cape that she was wearing, mm-hmm. it turned out it was actually inspired by the actual yeah. Princess Projectra, which is pretty cool. Making her second appearance in the podcast in like a month. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well. And it's nice that the Legion popped up again so soon after the last time we did them. <laughs> yes. So I wonder, in our world, Professor Lang sees Jimmy Olsen go into the thing, mm-hmm. and then what? Does he just <laughs> like, oh, well, Jimmy's gone. I guess uh, I'll have to find a new intern. <laughs> <laughs> I think he just goes, oh, Jimmy, and then just drives off in his Jeep. <laughs> <laughs> he buries the evidence. Maybe he buries the machine again. <laughs> Went with nothing to see here and drove off. That's why the honeycomb was never seen again in another story. <laughs> Professor Lang buried it. It was like, oh, crap. I lost yet another intern. Yes. He didn't want to get done for murdering Jimmy Olsen. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious in the panel. With Clark buying Jimmy for the first time, that all of a sudden he's got the change in his hand. I didn't notice that the first time around. And that's hilarious that he's yeah. got the coins actually in hand. I wonder if there's a sign at the auctioneers that we didn't see that says exact change only. Yes. <laughs> Don't ask for credit because a slap in the face sometimes offends. I'm fascinated by the fact that human life got so cheap so quickly. Just if you were any kind of level, you had to wear a cape. That's. Yeah. Given that this was, you know, a year after the Beatles did All You Need Is Love and, you know, the whole, the, the counterculture was in full force. It's quite a, it's yeah. quite a nasty attitude to take, isn't it? Yeah, the whole slavery thing is horrible. What if Otto Binder wasn't a fan of the permissive society and felt that all these young people needed to be put in their place? It's quite, <laughs> I'm not really sure I like the message that that was sending out about that. And obviously, with it, as, as, as you say, the capitalism mm-hmm. that, that Jor-El's buying into, it's quite, quite bizarre. But is this just happening in America or is this happening all over the world? We don't know. Well, it does say Planet of the Capes, doesn't it? It does say Planet, that's true. It must be global. It's, it's fascinating. It's, it's a real interesting mm. act of suppression. I don't approve. Well, along those lines, I question why the customs officer mm-hmm. is apparently a member of this ruling class. So, <laughs> so you're rich enough to have a cape, but you still have a job as a customs officer. That seems... <laughs> Are there levels, I guess? There's middle class and there's... <laughs> They're still the people in charge. They're the guys who've got to maintain order and uh-huh. they're always going to need a police force, aren't they? And yeah. If they're actively engaged in suppressing huge chunks of the, of the, the population. <laughs> Terrifying. So that paints a picture of the of the upper echelon allowing these people capes yeah. to keep the lesser ones down. And that's a, that's a pretty big commentary on... A, yeah. On modern society right there. I think so, very much so. <laughs> I'm surprised there wasn't like a caste system sort of with the capes, you know, that the sort of the menial guards and policemen all wore robin capes, for example, mm. and mm. other people of certain classes or similar type roles in society all wear the same cape. Yeah, Perry White was fascinating because he had all of them. He was like the comic collector in this. He was yes. like, must have them all, <laughs> must get all the capes. Every single variant <laughs> cover. <laughs> There's a few more things I want to bring up. If Jimmy is a famous movie star in this world, then how come when our Jimmy is up for auction, no one says, hey, he looks just like that movie star? (laughs) That's a good point. That's very true. Or if his name's still Jimmy Olsen, then why would he think, Jimmy Olsen, the movie star, he's lost his cape. 
<laughs> yeah, that's true. That's fair. They instantly jump to the fact that you must be worth nothing. Did did people just not lose things in this yeah. universe? <laughs> Imagine you'd mislead your cape. Do people ever mug other people and steal their capes from them? They'd have to. Hmm. I'm also fascinated by the idea of, as I think Steve mentioned earlier on, the Dimension Gun transporting stuff to Earth-1 from this other world. So we know that Jor-El has one. We know that Perry White has one. Perry White must be quite highly ranked in the society if he has pretty much all the capes. Yeah. So maybe that explains how he's got one. But I find it weird to think that there are people that actually have these things that basically just teleport them into Earth-1. Yeah, willy-nilly. Yeah. Yeah, and as we saw from Clark Kent's hunting trophy room, Pause on that for a moment. <laughs> You've got things like unicorns and other bizarre beasts that didn't appear on Earth-1 that we know. Is that the case then? The legends of unicorns and what have you on outer Earth or Earth-1 were maybe formed because people from the planet of the capes sent them <laughs> through using the dimensional gun? Well, you'd have to go back in time as well, though. That's the thing. Well, that's what I'm saying. Maybe that, that could be a side effect of it. Ah, maybe, it's only, maybe there are... Ones where it only works temporarily, I suppose. Interesting. It's definitely one of those ones that raises more questions than the, the text itself actually answers, isn't it? Yeah. I like those ones. I think perhaps that maybe maybe Perry has the Dimension Gun because Dr. X like gave it to him as a reward. Ah. You know, you get six capes and you get a free Dimension Gun. Because <laughs> 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 he's, he's collected them all. He's like, all right. <laughs> Maybe Perry was Jor-El's first contact, really, in society. Yeah. And uh, set, set him up with everything. And so as a reward, he got a dimension gun, perhaps. Maybe that's why Perry's so so high up. I'm so fascinated by this parallel version of Jor-El. I mean, just like the, the, the cosmetic difference where he's, he's got, you know, mm. his hair's gone white because he's lived to old age and all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. And he's just terrible. Jor-El hoarding all the money and huge swathes of the population being oppressed and not being in the same sort of tier as other members of the population there's definitely some kind of capitalist critique or observation going on Mm -hmm. i think that's definitely the root of it i love when he opened the ordinary door and there was just the massive you you couldn't see anything of the room it was just literally loot full of cash it's not in a safe or a vault or anything just no and in this room we have (laughs) (laughs) this is my money room it's hilarious over here is where i keep my my first pressings of all the beatles records this room is full of my copies of action comics number one and here's the hard the hard cold cash (laughs) <laughs> terrifying oh it's so much fun though yeah it's absolutely ridiculous but really enjoyed it and again jimmy just haplessly wanders through everything and it all works out for him because he's mm-hmm. jimmy olsen and that's what happens great stuff yep looking back at the, the list actually this is the first parallel loss we've had since the last time wonder woman met one of her evil twins i think is that right unless, ah, we, okay. count the, unless we count the flashback for mark merlin but that was just a parallel world that's oh no it's not well it's the, we didn't really find out whether it was earth that Superman was on in Action Comics 370. So it's yeah. with so many parallel arts at the start of the podcast, they've become quite scarce recently. Yep. Very interesting just to have one that, that's let us chat so much about, about the differences and what's um what's unusual about it. Mm-hmm. It feels like we haven't done that properly since JLA 38 or something. It's weird. Peter, when you were talking about how it seems so ingrained in their society, mm. you know, when, when Perry shows up at the Diamond Desert, He's just like, okay, Jimmy, you go off and explore. And like, he's not keeping an eye on him at no. all. There's, there's such trust that he knows the system is slavery. You know your place, boy. Yeah. And you're like, oh my gosh, that really speaks to how ingrained this system must mm. be in their yeah. society. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> and also, Perry's the only way Jimmy can get out of that diamond desert. I would imagine yeah, so. True. He literally has to do what he's told so they can get back. True. The Diamond Desert's a bizarre concept. Because <laughs> it was big giant diamonds that were there. And they're all just, it's worthless, it's worthless. You know, the hardest material known <laughs> uh, to man. It's, it's just, no, it's worthless. It's uh, rubbish. Yeah. It's, it's really weird, the, the twist in it, mm-hmm. on this story. But fun, fun nonetheless. The only other thing I was going to mention, which might be a little dark for the podcast, so feel free to cut this, <laughs> is I... I couldn't help but think when they started to go through the tunnel, when Jimmy first mm-hmm. started to go through the tunnel, of the Junji Ito story of the rock face with the – have you two read this? The cliff face that has the holes for people's bodies that are revealed. Oh, no. I, I know Junji Ito, but I've not read that. But uh, that's fascinating. No, I don't know it. It is such a dark story. It is uh, way too dark for the podcast. But <laughs> We won't be covering it. Don't worry. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> 
The story is that there's an earthquake and there's this cliff that's discovered that all along the cliff, there are holes that are perfectly human body shaped. And people are drawn to this cliff and they start to think, that's my hole. That's, that's the one that's made for me. And they, they are driven to obsessively kind of, and people are like, no, don't go in it. You don't know what's through the hole. And it goes to a really, really messed up place after that is Junji Ito. Oh, gosh. That's Junji Ito. I am completely unfamiliar. I do not know what you're talking about. It's not something I've ever heard of. What is it exactly? <laughs> He's a great horror manga creator. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Very, very powerful stories. Cool. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's what came to mind. <laughs> so shall we move on to the contemporary reader reaction then? Fantastic. So jumping on to Jimmy Olsen number 119. The Jimmy Olsen Pen Pals letters column is quite odd in that it doesn't seem to talk about just one issue. It's kind of all over the place. So there are several issues being talked about in this letter column, but there are three that pertain to this story. And the first one brings up a topic that I was thinking of as we were reading it, but I knew this letter was here, so I didn't mention it. So here we go. Dear Editor, Tra-la-la, I found a boo-boo in Jimmy Olsen number 117. On page 12, you show Jimmy cutting up a green cloth jacket he brought from our Earth. But, when he stepped out of the Dimension Penetrator, back on page 4, he was only wearing his white shirt and green pants. Explain, says Jimmy McGall from Farmville, VA. Farmville! Good grief. The Facebook game! <laughs> this guy is fictitious. <laughs> okay, and the, the short and sweet editorial response to that one is, Would you believe he had a coat on his tongue? Editor, no I wouldn't, that's terrible. No we wouldn't. Rubbish. No, no. <laughs> DC obviously not doing the no prize. There yeah. we <laughs> it seems the way most of these letters go is somebody trying to point out a flaw, yeah. since the next one has a similar tone to it. And it goes, Dear Editor, on page 10 of Planet of the Capes, the Perry White of that world sent a beast into the Dimension Zone. But that zone turned out to be the dimension our own Earth is in. Why didn't that wild beast wreck things when it appeared on Earth? And that is by Eugene Klein from New York, New York. Yeah, we, we raised that issue too, didn't we, Eugene? Mm -hmm. The editorial response is, where it appeared there wasn't anything to wreck since it materialised in the middle of a desert. Ed. The editor sounds like he can't be bothered making even the slightest <laughs> interesting response here. <laughs> True. The next letter then. Dear editor, on the cover of number 117, the auctioneer says, Olsen the slave is sold to the gentleman in the Superman cape. Yet in the story... No one in that world had ever heard of Superman. And that's from Richard Beck, New York, New York. I wonder if he knew Eugene. The response <laughs> to that one is, The auctioneer just got his tongue twisted. He admired Clark's cape, and what he meant to say was, Sold to the gentleman in the super cape, man. <laughs> wow. Okay, that's pretty awful. <laughs> <laughs> it really seems like the editor is kind of saying, Ah, whatever, kids, just read your funny books. <laughs> yeah. Give us your 12 cents. That's all we're worried about. <laughs> so there's another letter, I think. Is it issue 121, Pete? Is that right? It is. It's 121. And that goes like this. Dear Editor, I enjoyed Planet of the Capes, but I'm afraid I don't understand the idea behind the parallel Earth bit. Can you explain it to me? And that's from Karen Lewis, Allentown, Pennsylvania. Ah, PA is Pennsylvania. We need to try and remember that. <laughs> there you go. Mystery solved. <laughs> <laughs> the response to that one, quite long-winded, says... Sure. The idea is that in infinity, there must be room for all possible universes, so there would be an infinite number of universes with an infinite number of Earths. On some Earths, life would never develop. On others, it would develop differently from the life on our Earth. But there would still be a vast number that would be close to identical to our Earth. No matter what happens on our Earth, there would be others on which it happened a little differently. And since everything possible would exist in such an infinity, it would be impossible to write fiction. So, if the theory were true... There would be Earths on which every one of our comic stories was an actual fact. Ed. That seems a good place to end on. That's a fantastic summation of basically everything that we're doing. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, it's tremendous. He put more effort into that one than he did into the previous so. response yes. to it, let's be honest. Yes, he did. So that's about it for the Planet of the Capes. Steve, thank you for joining us. 
Thank you so much for having me. It was so enjoyable. And again, I know that Caitlin is going to be totally <laughs> thrilled to have heard me on this. So, awesome. so thank um, you for that. <laughs> no, it's a pleasure. Steve, is there anything you want to plug or tell the listeners about that they may want to check out if they're so inclined? Well, certainly. So I am a bit of an amateur comic writer myself. I work with a group of comic creators in the St. Louis area known as Ink and Drink Comics. And we have for the past decade or more released a, an anthology of comics every six months or so. The pandemic has kind of put us on hold a little bit, but we are uh, trying to get back on track. We are releasing a superhero-themed book here in the summer, and uh, it's called The Liquid Courage 2, because we did one several years ago now. But that should be out soon. I have a collection of comics that I myself wrote, all of them, uh, different artists on each one. It's called Myriad. You can purchase it through any bookseller in the U.S. at the very least, and at Forbidden Planet, at least they used to have copies. <laughs> I don't right. know. <laughs> they may have sold out. I'm not sure. We'll have to have a look. <laughs> and you can also find me on, on social media. Um, I'm VacuumBoy9 on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And on TikTok, if you follow me, I in my day job, I'm an English professor. And I do short lessons on poetry, 60-second uh, poetry lessons. So come and check that out if you're a fan of poetry. Fantastic. Awesome. Thank you so much. No, it's a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. We'll get you back on at some point, I'm sure. Indeed. <laughs> so you can find Steve at Vacuum Boy 9. And when you can find us at the Earth 2 Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and on Twitter, we're at podcast underscore Earth 2. And we'll be putting up lots of fun bonus material for this episode, so make sure you check it out. Absolutely. I might have picked this gallery of 10 Jimmy Olsen covers out months ago. I might not. I'm just, you know... I'll leave that up to you. Yeah. <laughs> and on that bombshell, I've been Peter. I've been Steve. And I've been David. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you again soon on The, the Earth 2 Podcast. Transmatter Cube activated. Return coordinates set for Earth Prime. We have another I'm going to belch on. This is what happens when I, when I eat biscuits and drink. This is what I have to this. edit out, Steve. All this. <laughs> This is why it takes me years to do an episode. This is yeah, exactly. I mean, this is the hundredth episode, right? So how many? <laughs> just think how many belches I've edited out. Yes, belches <laughs> you've edited. But how many weeks in total you've spent editing in the last two plus years? Yeah, terrifying <laughs> to even contemplate. Uh, yeah, yeah, terrifying. Seeing how the sausage is made is just ruining the mystique <laughs> for me completely. I'll never be able to listen in the same way again. <laughs> This is like a live DVD bonus feature. <laughs> 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 so, 